0: Welcome to another edition of the Timeless Wealth Podcast. I have with me Amy Dietz Graham and Jalal Madani. My name is Durkin. Um, You know, we read a lot of books from time to time. You Mm -hmm. know, I think I read somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25 books. I tend to rotate between a fiction book, you know, crime fiction Mm -hmm. novel, and then a nonfiction fiction book. They tend to be business related. I know, Jalal, you read even more than that. You're, uh, you're quite a voracious reader. <laughs> read a lot, yeah. uh, and so are you. And, uh, you know, we were having a conversation a little while ago and we thought maybe it'd be interesting to share some of the uh, the books that we read with uh, with our listeners and our viewers and uh, our thoughts on them and uh, leave it to uh, to you if uh, whether or not you want to read them yourselves. And uh, the first book we looked at is a book called The Psychology of Money, written by one Morgan Housel. It's a uh, published by Harriman House. It was published in 2020. And the Psychology of Money, which the subtitle is Timeless Lessons on Wealth, Greed and Happiness, delves into the, well, as the title would indicate, the mental framework behind money and investing Mm -hmm. and the typical pratfalls or pitfalls that can occur uh, when you're investing. And uh, so who is... uh, Morgan House.
1: So Mar- Morgan Housel, I actually had the opportunity of hearing him speak, I think a couple of years ago. at a, okay. at a he, great, great storyteller, uh, a great presence. But he's a former financial columnist for the Wall Street Journal. And he's now works at a collaborative fund, which is early stage venture capital. Um, and uh, yeah, he's a good storyteller. And that's yeah. what I really mm-hmm. liked about this book was the stories that to get his messages through.
0: Yeah, I, I found the to should be uh, I don't want to say it's an easy read. That uh, kind of diminishes what uh, his writing style. Mm-hmm. But I actually found it, uh, it, it just user friendly from yeah. a reading standpoint. Yeah. And I remember uh, delving into uh, Ray Dalio's uh, book, <laughs> and I finished it. But boy, oh boy, it was dense. Yeah, this dense, is not that yeah. kind of book. Boring. Not to say that yeah. Ray, uh, Ray Dalio's book—I can't recall the title offhand—is not worth reading. But uh, this was a little bit different.
1: Yeah, a lot of good lessons. Like, yeah. what were your thoughts, Joel?
2: I mean, I loved it. I loved a few things about it. Uh, first of all, I loved how we started it, and I loved how we ended it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did you read the middle, Jalal? <laughs> <laughs> I, I did read the middle. Yeah, at <laughs> <out> a <of> time. <laughs> uh, but I do like how how he constructed each of his chapters. So first of all, the the book is quite short. It's not, what like maybe two hundred pages. Mm-hmm. Um. And every ch- each chapter he each chapter covers a principle. And yeah. th- Each principle is like no more than literally like seven, eight, ten pages or whatnot. So yeah. it's very short and. Each principle, he brings it to light by uh, introducing a narrative, mm-hmm. um, and he actually even mentions in his book that uh, a story is more appealing than just listening to stats. I think it was in one of the um, uh, one of the chapters near the end. But he mentions that you know stories uh, they relate to people, they resonate with people yeah. much more than you know just showing them a bunch of stats, you know, yeah. uh, stuff like that. So, like for example. You know, take Warren Buffett reading Warren Buffett's story or learning, or, or let's just say looking into his story, mm-hmm. would be more beneficial to you than just looking at the stats and the the technical maneuvers that uh, mm-hmm. uh, that Warren Buffett made throughout his career. So yeah. that's one thing I loved about it. Well, and,
0: and, and you know the the neat thing about this book, you know, a lot of books are progressive and you have to read chapter one, then chapter two, yeah. and so on and so yeah. forth, right yeah. through to the end. And there's some aspect of this in yeah. this book, but you can actually intermittently as I was reading through it, you can't actually
1: jump into chapter 20 independent of right, chapter three. Right, right. Because like Jalal said, it was covering a different principle. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I liked about it too, instead of getting into like the technical jargon or a strategy of investing, it really focuses on the behavioral aspect. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot yeah. about that in terms of like what makes successful investors. So I really resonated with a lot of the the different topics and like different Different things to recognize in your own behavior when it comes to investing. Mm-hmm. I think he explained it really well. Well, give us I, give us an example. Well, the one concept was paranoid optimism,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and I think that's a really good way to describe myself because I I am always paranoid and I'm always looking at the cautious way. You know, I'm not super risky when it comes to investing, yeah. but ultimately we know that tough times come. But so you we do believe in humanity can figure it out. So we have some optimism. So I, I like that concept. Yep. I was like, that's a good way to describe it.
0: Every time I hear the word paranoid, it reminds me of one of my favorite phases or phrases, uh, <laughs> you know, just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get me. Anyway, <laughs> I, I digress. But um, <laughs> no, I, I look, I agree. I mean, look, uh-huh. you, optimism has a like a a bit of a a veil around it that you're, you're almost Pollyannish that you, you're, you're, um,
1: your head in the clouds, yeah your heads in the
0: clouds, a little naive, you're naive and and you're not recognizing that bad things can happen in life or tough periods can happen in life. And, and, you know, but equally paranoia has a stigma around it where basically you're constantly, you're stuck, you're you're alert, you're always, you have a catastrophe mindset and so Mm -hmm, forth. mm -hmm. I think blending the two gives a, a, a very purposeful mix of, Hey, I get it over Mm -hmm. time. Things are going to be good. Yeah. But let's be reasonable and realistic that in in the interim, there could be some difficult periods and you need to be ready for them and,
2: and, uh, you know, work them through. Yeah. Yeah. So So what would you say was your favorite principle of all of them? Was well, yours? I, I, was yours the pessimism one or?
1: I like the paranoid option. Oh, what is the, my favorite? What
2: about you, Sean? Like, what's what was your favorite one? Do you think? Oh, I or, like, or, or, if, I know they're all great. Like, I want. So they're so great. great and yeah. They can, what I loved a lot. What I y- loved. Y- you know. Okay, I did. I did have a favorite.
0: Favorite part of it. Really? actually. Yeah. I okay. did, And. and um, I, it, it, there was a there was a concept I can't remember what chapter it was. It was somewhat in the in the first let's say third of the book, and it was yeah. basic, basically basically gist of it is no one gives a flying fado. Oh oh what yeah, you <laughs> in the what you own or yeah yeah what yeah. you drive or what yeah. you own. Yeah, no one gives a damn.
1: Well, then that was the concept of people are confused with being wealthy versus being rich. Yeah, right. Yeah, right? and and
0: the, the you know what 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 I found interesting is you know he he worked as. Uh, you know, he worked as a valet Parker, uh, a Parker. Morgan uh, worked as a valet Parker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Easy for me to say. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he saw people pulling up in Ferraris and Lamborghinis yeah. and yeah. so forth. Yeah. He wouldn't even acknowledge the, the, the people day. that yeah. are driving. Yours is more focused on him being in the yeah. car. Yeah. 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 So you could have like the greatest house, the greatest yeah. car, the greatest boat. No one's going to care. They just yeah. vision them owning the boat rather than right. you. So it's, right a, right. it's not the making of a person right. to own this stuff. It's yeah. more other aspects that are quite obvious, you know, being caring and empathetic and kind and so forth. Right, right, right. drive yeah. Your reputation. Right. Right.
2: But I just wonder how would that, how would that translate to, um, for example, the image of professionalism because I'll, and I'll give you an example. For example, if I called, I have a house and I want, I called a plumber. Well, if somebody, if an individual showed up in a Toyota Camry, with no, with no offense, to Toyota, but if he showed up in a Camry versus if he showed up in, you know, um, uh, a cube van or, uh, a cargo van, you know, with with like the the like the arts, the logo of, the on, logo it. on yeah. it, all that stuff, right. and the tags. I am going to take the second person a little bit more seriously. Okay,
1: right? that that's
0: reasonable. I mean, I don't think. Well, I think what what uh, Morgan is suggesting is not that. I mean, obviously, you right. need to be you need, you know depending on what um, profession you're in, you need mm-hmm. to basically dress to that profession, and mm-hmm. you need yeah. to drive a, uh, a an automobile mm-hmm. consistent with that profession. Right. But what he's suggesting is that. You know, if you think you're going to, you know, when you could get away with car X and you buy car Y, which is twice as expensive as car mm-hmm. X. OK. You're not really materially moving the needle in terms of people's perception of you.
1: Right. OK.
2: Right. So critiques, though. Now, he yep. now and because I know you guys are mentioning and the only reason I'm bringing this up, this specific critique is because you guys are saying wealth versus rich. And mm-hmm. and this is also, I mm-hmm. think, in my opinion, uh uh, in one of his chapters, he mentions, uh, like, obviously, you guys love talking about compounding, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And he brings up the stat that, uh, what was it, like 90%, Sean, maybe correct me here, 90% of Buffett's uh, net worth was made after he was 65
1: or, or something like oh, that? Oh, way higher than that. Probably
2: way higher than yeah. that. Okay, let's just say It was
1: 95. like 99.9% yeah. after, after, the, yeah, age. after,
2: like after the age of 52. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, and while mathematically, and, you know, if, if I'm looking at a table that may be correct, and I don't know, but I'm mm. sure it's correct, or else I I, I highly doubt it'd be get, it would get published. But it begs the question for me at least as a 33-year-old. Well, what's the point of wealth at that? You know, like what's the point of it at that at that point? Like well, if like I'm to- 9 years old, right? Yeah. Worth, I don't know, 150 billion and I'm not, you know, the wealth wealth versus rich and I'm not enjoying my life or I know obviously enjoyment in life is subjective but mm-hmm. if I'm not spending that kind of money if I'm not buying the Ferraris and the lambos or the big houses which I'm not board, saying that's which, which Buffett incidentally doesn't but yeah yeah, yeah I know no yeah. exactly and uh, and he doesn't and but then I asked myself like and this was a question I asked mm-hmm. myself when I read the book it was like well what's the point of it all you know so See, I, so I, have I to like wait. the
1: part that he talked about though he's talked about Independence, And that will be subjective to everybody else. Like how much money do you have to have just to have the independence, to have the independence, to say, if I wanted to, I'm going to decide who I work with, when I work with them, the time I spend with them. You just have that flexibility. Right. And I, I liked that whole concept because for everybody, that's going to be different. And it's not about the stuff and the thing. It's all about. Just having the flexibility yeah. to to do that—that's true wealth—is having that freedom, if you yeah. will, to yeah. to do that.
0: And I yeah. think I think to go back to the Buffett example, I mean, he talks about Buffett really enjoying uh, investing from the age of ten, mm-hmm. right, and doing it all the way through his life. So it's not yeah. like when Buffett gets up for work or has ever gotten up to work, he's not like he's going to the salt mines <laughs> and working these like you know these like yeah. you know bludgeoning fifteen-hour yeah. days. He yeah. loves what he does. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he wasn't. I can imagine. I can't prove it. But I don't think he was sitting on a high school football field slinging footballs around. <laughs> I don't <laughs> exactly. think he was doing that, right? <laughs> I, I, I love the images we you draw. We might be surprised. I just don't. Think, I, I, he might have been, but I think he was more focused. He was. He's always been an investment propeller head, which yeah. is right. that's his that's his gift. Yeah. yeah. And so he. This is what he enjoys. He doesn't yeah, yeah. like. I, I don't imagine. Mm-hmm. Although, by the way, he is a Nebraska uh, Huskies uh, or Huskers right. uh, or Corn <laughs> Huskers uh, football fan. I digress. But. Yep. He doesn't. Uh, I don't think he goes and golfs a lot or anything mm-hmm. like that. But yeah. this is what he, he enjoys just loves doing. What he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't. I can't. So that's the difference. I mean, so to put it in the context of an average, you know, average person, if you love doing what you're doing, why stop?
1: Yeah,
2: you absolutely. Know? I'm not. I'm not saying for you know. I'm not suggesting that Warren Buffett should like quit or retire or whatnot. He's he's obviously amazing at what he does. But the question and- is, can he retire? Of course he can. Right. Yeah. If he can't retire, then I don't think anybody has <laughs> any right. chance of retiring. But he's been able
0: to do that since, you know, a very young age, right? Yeah. So right. like yeah. I think I think yeah. he was worth uh, you know, t- in today's dollars 9 million US at, by the age of 30. 9 million US by th- Oh, okay. Yeah. He was a millionaire yeah. by age 30 and, yeah, and that was way yeah. back years ago, right? Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: So, yeah. Well, I mean, one and the um, so what I like a lot about these principles, by the way, one thing I wanted to bring up is that they can actually be related to even other parts of life. Like, mm-hmm. even if you take out the the financial aspect of it, I know it's called the psychology of money. Yeah. But what I loved a lot about uh, Housel's writing is how he how he structured the principles, or even how he worded the principles, in a way where you can totally see uh, this. This concept being applied to other areas of life. an example mm-hmm. of that is yeah. uh, his chapter nine uh, Wealth is what you don't see. Mm-hmm. Yes well, when I read that, um, I even remembered you know I thought about social media right like mm-hmm. even even individuals for instance showing yeah. um, portraying images of let like, their life is great, you know their yeah. you know life is awesome and and they're living the best life of yeah. the life the best life that they can. But what I noticed is that also you don't know what's going on, you know, obviously behind closed doors. You right. don't know the problems that people are facing. Uh, this is not a, you know, there's not a therapy session. Or I'm not suggesting it is. But I just wanted to bring about that how these principles that he highlighted, um, you know, can can be translated Applied to, to, to li- other of just life. life, yeah. Yeah, and that's why, you know, it was the first book, I think, uh, or I, actually I'm glad it was one of the first books we decided to kick off mm-hmm. our, uh, our series on because... It is, it is a good book to read. Yeah. It is a good book to read. Even if you're not interested in investing, even if you're not interested in um, you know, money growth or whatever it is, it's still a great book to yeah. read to even apply in other areas of well, your life. Well, it makes
1: you reflect because one of the other things he talks about that we t- often talk about is your relationship with money is dependent largely on your upbringing. Yeah. And he went into talking about people's backgrounds and you know somebody that's gone through a de- depression mm-hmm. might yeah. have a very different relationship than somebody that perhaps was in the 80s. So right. it's bringing up those past histories and I think it just makes you kind of think about your own experience and it's like oh yeah that probably does shape how I interact with money so I, I like the way he you know Went back and, and referred to those different experiences that people went through. Yeah, it's
0: a sure. it's a rare person I think that would read this book and not find something that applies. To them. Yeah, there there yeah. are some books that folks read, including myself, where it's like, okay, this does not apply to me. Um, right. You know, right. My wife one time recommended a, uh, a book, you know, written by Oprah Winfrey, and I read a little <laughs> bit of it, and um, that's all it's all that's about as far as it went. Right, <laughs> but this book actually applied, you know, throughout yeah. the whole piece. I mean, the other, the other interesting thing, and I mean, look, look, we've, we saw this probably last year, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, they talked about, you know, using history as a, as a concrete guide for mm-hmm. the future. And a lot of people like to do that. I mean, historians often say, you know, what's written in the future has been guided by the past. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's true. And, he, and uh, he quotes a Stanford professor, Scott Sagan is his name. And, you know, Scott, I really like this quote. Things that have never happened before happen all the time
1: yeah
2: mm-hmm. yeah and, and that I kind think of is a uh, uh, chapter 12 surprise yeah yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah I mean and that I found that interesting which led to you know kind of the concept around you know investing as a practice of managing odds versus certainties right right, right. so, so uh, sorry can you repeat that again what did he say again? so basically it's a t- it talks about investing from the perspective of managing odds managing odds okay mm. in other words you can be right for the wrong reasons in the short run mm-hmm. that you you can have all you can have the preponderance of information. You can take all the time to assess it. You can say, OK, based on what I'm seeing, this makes sense to engage in this way. Mm-hmm. But something could come out of left field that you could not have anticipated. Right. You know, right. That can, in the short run, derail your thesis and make you look pretty silly. Right. right? And that's where, you know, he talked about, you know, we like to talk about being rational versus reasonable.
1: Yeah, I liked that concept. One one of the things he talked about is,
0: you know, in investing mantras is often told, you're often told, you know, do not fall in love with your investments. Do Mm -hmm. not fall in love with what you're doing. Yeah he argues actually that may or may not be a bad thing mm-hmm. because if you actually love the companies that you own and you understand them and you're convicted to them or convicted to stand by them mm-hmm. you're you're less likely to to abandon the strategy at the worst possible time
1: right? and right. allow
0: compounding over years mm-hmm. and years but and years to still fe- hold.
2: But your feelings will still have to be based on some level of re- reality. Like yes. if I love Blockbuster or BlackBerry I shouldn't stay in it just because Forever, I love it. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Well
0: that speaks to Pollyanna versus versus, you know, some pragmatism no, in your view, no, right? No,
2: no, no. I, I wouldn't say it's Pollyanna. I'd say it's... Like, listen, I think you and I were talking about this yesterday, uh-huh. uh, Amy... If you had asked me, like I know Sean uh, yourself and and uh, a few other individuals of you know have always said, you know, invest in good companies, invest in good companies. Um, but if you had asked me in 06, is Blockbuster or BlackBerry a good company? Anyone anyone would say, hell yeah, they're they're great companies. Right. But then over, if you look at over the next ten years of that, well, they were definitely not great companies. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Blockbuster, they were definitely. Not a good company, even especially in the sense that when they saw that a lot of people or society in general, with the advancement of the internet, um, they're moving towards online streaming. You know, they had infrastructure, they had licenses, they had license to sell a lot of mm-hmm. movies, they had licenses, they had money, they had the infrastructure and the structure to actually even pursue a mm-hmm. streaming service. Right. Yet, yet they didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And and you know we all know what happened to Blockbuster. Same with BlackBerry. You know, like um, I know if. Uh, Maybe in one of the first few uh, episodes, you said that Warren Buffett would look around and see, well, everybody's holding a Coca-Cola in his hand. Everybody's holding this in his hand. Let's buy Coca-Cola or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Well, what, in 04, 05, 06, 07, everybody's holding a Blackberry in their hand, mm-hmm. right? So it's not, I mean, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is finding that um, uh, that uh, that love, even if you love something, right? It still has to be based on rational thought and, you know, and your analysis of, of society or of the market.
0: Well, and I think Housel touches on that. You know, he says that if you look over the span of time, like yeah. not, not years, mm-hmm. but decades, and he, he brings up exactly what you're talking about, which right. is you know, some 60% of companies that were around 40, 50 years ago, <laughs> 60 mm-hmm. years ago, are not in existence today. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, they're yeah, dramatically different. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course, you have
2: to be mindful of that, right? right. And that's, well, and
1: he also talks about luck. Right. So if we talk about
2: second chapter, which is I love that he put luck as a second chapter.
1: So he talks about luck. So if we talk about we talk about Buffett, we can talk about a whole bunch of people who are successful investors. But if you actually look at the percentage of holdings that that get them to that point, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's often a lot of luck. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's not everybody's going to be lucky all the time. And so recognizing and then he gave a good example of Bill Gates. Yeah. He happened like obviously he came from a good family and they had resources, but I didn't know this. Actually, he was at one of the schools that happened to have the first computer. Yep.
0: Yeah, him and Paul Allen. So
1: yeah, how lucky is that? Like he got yeah. exposure to that at such yeah. a young age and got yeah. into and it. What I absolutely pretty darn lucky.
2: In that same chapter was how um, their friend, I think it was Keith. Yeah. So he was also uh, uh, was it Keith? I think. I think yeah. I'm so. Not yeah, yeah, I think so. He was with them, but then just happened that Keith passed away in yeah. a mountaineering accident. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like. So that just show luck. Now, you know, is it dangerous to go mountaineering? Yes. Is it risky? Yes. But you're not going to stop yourself from doing what you love. But it just so happened yeah. that he didn't have the luck that Gates and uh, uh, and Allen yeah. had. Yeah, that's right. right. So I great.
1: like that he pointed that out because yeah. it's it's sometimes you can get caught up in looking at this, yeah. and sometimes yeah, they had a lucky break and things worked out really well. Right. But at the same time. Sometimes you can be lucky, but you can lose it too. Yeah. So it's keeping that all in balance. Yeah. I
0: think the other the other interesting thing you talked about, which we we've talked about this privately, you know, and I know I've talked about this with my friends over the years, is is what? you know what does wealth mean? And we already addressed the material side of it, mm-hmm. which is kind of somewhat mm-hmm. immaterial when you think about it over time. Yeah. But what is the most valuable thing you have, and what's the what's the most depleting asset you have in your life? Time. Well, it's time, time, time. right? And yeah. that's what you know, building assets over time gives you is more control of your time. Mm-hmm. Which I felt was mm-hmm. interesting.
2: Yeah. And, and yeah. I think um, it is shown through a lot of research that, uh, that the more time you can control in your life, the happier, yeah. the more satisfied you are uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, with your mm-hmm. life. Um, do you guys have anything else? I have one more thing yeah, that cool. I, wanted to, sure. I wanted to say. Um, it's natural for humans to compare, you know, com- to compare their lives with others, to yeah. compare their successes or their failures mm-hmm. with others and all that stuff. But one thing I loved uh, where he mentioned in chapter six called "Tales you win mm-hmm. is that it, you cannot take the extreme scenarios of other people's successes yes. and compare it to yours. True. Yeah. Outliers are very outliers are so extreme that even in statistics, they some, most of the times mm-hmm. they remove these outliers. Like they don't look at it on a bell curve. Right. Yep, right? right. True. So, you know, um, it, it, and you guys obviously have much more experience, uh, client facing than me in this industry. But I'm sure you guys see it all the time, where you know individuals compare themselves to. It's a uh, common uh, question others. we get: is
1: how much are other people spending in yeah. retirement? Like, yeah. am you you I know. am I too low? Am I too high? Am I yeah. where do I fall within you know? <laughs> and yeah, again, yeah, yeah. again, yeah. it's so subjective because people do many different things, and some things cost more than to, others. It speaks so, speaks to the
0: concept of enough. Yeah, you know, never, en- you know whatever, enough. whatever's enough for you is enough for you. Yeah, right. And uh, and you know the one the one interesting thing you talked about was uh, is I think it was under the uh, tales you know the, the chapter you referenced tales you win. Yeah, you know I think over the last let's say 150 years you know 15 billion people have been born, you know, onto this earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's like seven people. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah really yeah. changed the direction yeah. of history for good or for bad. And, I mean, you know, it doesn't take a yeah. whole leap of logic yeah. to think of who those yeah, people yeah. are. Like yeah. right. Joseph Stalin.
1: Right, right, right. You know, Adolf yeah.
0: Hitler, Bill Gates. I mean, there's a few others. For sure. yeah. I mean, that's not an exhaustive list, but yeah, yeah. the number yeah. is very, very small relative to the total number of people that have been born. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the last the last thing, and then I'm, I'm yep. done in terms yeah, of my yeah. observations, was, again, compounding comes up over and over yeah. and over yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know the message I got. Your Favorite compounding. Well,
1: <laughs> it is my favorite, but it's such Both a. Con- your and he acknowledges that. I don't it's write a concept. the news. Well, and yeah. he says it's a concept that's hard for people because you can't just calculate. You know, when I say you know, if you start early, it's not immediate that you're like, oh, I, I see the difference, right? Yeah. So it, that's why when you say it, it's like. Well, what I think does there's two mean?
0: nuances to compounding. I think one is start early, obviously, right. right? But the other thing too is 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 that you can't get over overly exuberant or overly despondent. Mm-hmm in any given short subset of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, or in other words, you can't let recency bias, you know, you know, service sus- uh, the uh, subscription mm-hmm. for what's gonna happen mm-hmm. in the future. You, you mm-hmm. just can't overweight it. Yeah. right? Yeah. Because there's so much time over, you know, over the years, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. That, that to me, you know, it's really important, especially, you know, in the environment we just went through, maybe, yes. maybe we're gonna face it again. Yeah. I
2: don't know, who knows. All right, well, Amy, Sean, thanks a lot. Uh, so that- what
1: do we think? Do we think this is a timeless recommendation is something we would recommend?
2: I would, I would, I, would. I, I would, would too, and not just because it's about money, like I said, um, but it's also because the 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 values that he tries to bring forth, yeah. and the 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 thought that he tries to bring forth, can be applied to other areas of life, yeah, um, not just money, but yeah, yeah, yeah and Thanks.
0: it doesn't matter if you're twenty seven,
2: 27, 57, yeah.
0: Yeah. or or sixty seven, or tw- 100%. like it's just, it's it's universal, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'd give a thumbs up, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely for sure. There it is, folks. All right, the psychology of money. It's Harrison House, published 2020, uh, available on Amazon or at uh, your nearest and favorite bookseller to you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Thanks, guys. guys.